Put them over your heart. Say this with me. This is my Bible. God's written living word to me. Open my heart, Lord. And open my eyes, Lord, that I might behold wonderful things from your law. I have been praying and the Holy Spirit has been speaking and reorganizing. He is revisioning our ministry. Work on this for me, Manuel. And by the way, we only have one side of the house this morning, only the right side. Uh, This speaker isn't working. And so that's why you've had some things going on this morning and feedback issues. And so Manuel's doing his best. Uh, If you noticed in the bulletin, and by the way, is there anybody that didn't get a bulletin this morning when you walked in? You just, you slipped by. Um, We want to be sure that you have one and that you have the announcements that are in it. Anybody else that I need to get one to? One back here. Mackie. Who else? Okay. Take a look at the bulletin there under prophetic insight in the left-hand column. And now that I've given all mine away, Lila, you have yours with you, honey? Okay. Thanks, Terry. I want you to take a look at the third item that's written here. I, God, am giving things a new name. I'm giving things a new thrust. I'm giving things now that have been in the future. Could we show the ethos slide? It's either in your... Did you have it? Um, The Holy Spirit... uh, Go ahead and turn that off for just a moment. You're going to see what is on that slide and what's at the top of the masthead of the bulletin now made up into marketing materials into a, a big banner that will be behind us, so on and so forth. And uh, we are changing our ethos. It will now be what you read there. Belong, believe, and become. The premise of my time of sharing this morning is this. Our call as Christians is to share God's grace, not decide who gets it. And I'm going to do something right now that I have never done in 35 years of preaching. I'm going to read my text towards the close of my message. I want to ask you, what paradigm, what model did Jesus work with in his ministry, in his teaching, when it came to the subject of grace and calling people to follow him? My concern is that the church's model has been behave, believe, and then you can belong. And the problem with that is it distorts our understanding of grace and even God's character. Here's the issue. If, if, we, have, if we behave a certain way, if we believe a certain thing, then God accepts us. And that largely has been the message of the church, especially in America. And, and the result is that we're forced to behave rather than to belong. Many of you are familiar with the church in Redding, California called Bethel, pastored by Bill Johnson. I'd like to quote Bill, quote unquote, why is this important to recognize? 
because many approach the teachings of Jesus as just another form of the law. To most, he just brought a new set of rules. Grace is different from the law in that favor comes before obedience. Get that. That's so important. Favor comes before the obedience in the ministry of Christ. Under grace, the commandments of the Lord come fully equipped with the ability to perform them. And to those who hear from the heart, grace enables what it commands. End quote. See, in religion, religion says that we negotiate with God to try to get something in exchange for our good behavior. Do what you're told and hopefully God will reward you. Don't do what you're told and you're going to burn. Or at least life is going to be hell. The religious model of doing things is be a certain way, act a certain way, behave a certain way, believe a certain doctrine, and then you can belong to our community. (laughs) But what did Jesus believe? What was the paradigm that Jesus operated under? I submit to you that it's somewhat of a new paradigm and yet this is the paradigm that Jesus used. But it's new to us in the church today. And it's been in the Old Testament all along. It was the ministry of Jesus. Belong, believe, and become. Belong, believe, and become. Let me define those three words for you, okay? First of all, we allow people to come as they are, literally. We allow individuals to be honest and vulnerable. We leave room for grace. We acknowledge that we're not perfect, but God is. We acknowledge that we're not always right, but God is. We don't always have our act together, but God does. The belong, believe, become paradigm says that anyone can belong regardless of their orientation, regardless of their beliefs, regardless of whether they're even Christians. They are included, they're loved, they're embraced, and they're welcomed into the community of faith. Then, after belonging, their ears and their eyes are truly opened to hear about Jesus. They see Christians, believers, acting in countercultural ways, supernatural ways, loving ways, demonstrating through signs and wonders and miracles who this Jesus claimed to be. And then, after believing in Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit has been embraced and The Holy Spirit has had time to work with the human heart. There's something that happens. Radical transformation takes place. But that's after belonging. And that's after believing. That's becoming. And because men and women are able to belong in a community where they can belong and the process of sanctification then begins... And that is a process, by the way. Sanctification is not an event. 
holiness takes a lifetime. I'm becoming more like Him. But to get into a place where that's safe, I need a church that believes in belonging before believing and believing before becoming. And it creates an environment for those three as their paradigm. I mean, they really believe this. They really embrace it. It's not just theological speak. And you know what? This is where we as Christians really then begin to become passionate Christ followers. Is in this paradigm. Our text. Can you believe I'm almost at the end of my message? You don't believe that, do you? Well, I'm closer than you think. Could we turn on the front lights, please, for me? And turn and join me in Luke's gospel. Chapter 7. Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home. Imagine that. Jesus going to the home of a Pharisee for dinner. Do you realize how at odds those two were? Is it okay to have dinner with somebody with whom you're at odds? You know, they say there are two things you should never discuss in mixed company. Right? Right? Politics and... And Jesus went to the home of the most stinking, objectionable, calloused, religious unloving, judgmental religious person of his day, a Pharisee. And the scripture says that Jesus sat at the table. Now you need to get an image of this because for you and I today, we pull up a chair and we sit down at the table. But they didn't have tables that height. I think that's what, 26 inches? Tables back then were... I mean, our tables today are generally about 26 to 30 inches tall. Their tables back then were maybe six inches high. So when it says that Jesus sat, I submit to you that he sat, not in a chair, but on his bottom. Now I'm going to further submit to you that Jesus got so comfortable at this Pharisee's house that he stretched out his legs and he sort of leaned and was just resting and having a nice dinner, drinking some wine, having whatever was put before him and served, resting, sitting at the table. Now, how can I say that he was that casual? Let's keep reading. When a certain immoral woman, hold it, stop, pause, take the scripture off the screen, follow me, Barb. When a certain immoral woman. 
Now, we're going to read how that this woman comes in, heard that Jesus was there having dinner, and goes. Question. How did she know where the house was? And being an immoral woman and this Pharisee being the most upright, holy, righteous, self-righteous, religious person, who would think that an immoral woman... You know what that means, right? I don't have to translate that. All right. Okay, we're good. All right. We call it a lot of things in society today, but this was an immoral woman. In fact, Jesus is going to comment on the depth of her immorality in just a few minutes. You watch. She knows where the house is and she just comes in. Now, does that bother anybody? Does that bother anybody that the whore in town knew just where the Pharisee's house was and just walked in? Does does anybody stop and say, really? I, I mean, I'm just saying. And when a certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Comment. Does anybody want to guess what she regularly used the perfume for? reading along verse 38 then she knelt behind Jesus at his feet he wasn't standing we already know that so she couldn't have knelt behind his feet here right it says that he sat at table Well, if his feet were under him cross-legged like you would normally sit at a low table, how would she sit at his feet behind him? His feet were out to the side and it was not uncommon in that day to eat in such a posture. Comfortable, leaning maybe over to one side, feet out to the side, and in comes the prostitute with a beautiful, beautiful alabaster jar filled with perfume used in the business. Am I, am I faithful to Scripture so far? <laughs> and she gets behind Jesus' feet. You ready? And with her tears that fell on his feet, she wiped them. Because she was weeping, just uncontrollably weeping. I I want you to substitute worshiping. And she fell at his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. And she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Is there anybody that doubts that this was an act of total surrender and worship? By the way, to someone to whom she did not yet belong. For and to somebody in whom she did not yet even believe. But something happened inside her. She heard he was going to be at this house and she went. 
unwelcomed or not, could that be the future destination of Genesis? And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is touching him. She's a sinner. Oh, welcome to the scene, the American church. (laughs) Welcome into the room, the average church in our neighborhood. Why, this is a man of God. He proclaims to be a prophet in direct relationship and communication with Almighty God. If he were truly from God, he'd know what this horrible, gross, wicked, disgusting thing is that's touching him. She's a sinner. Y'all with me? Have you ever been there? Do you identify that you've been on both ends of that? (laughs) Me too. Me too. In fact, I had to check my thoughts on vacation. Because I was out of my element. See, when I'm home here, I can control things. When I'm away, states and states away, thousands of miles, amongst people I don't know, don't regularly fellowship with, I'm out of control. And that's where you find out whether you really believe the gospel. Verse 40, watch this. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Do you realize there is no hiding? There is nothing secret. That's why we should live life as though there are no secrets. But you know what keeps us from doing that? We don't have a place to belong. We don't have a place to grow and process in our believing and our becoming. And so it's not safe. It's not safe to be that vulnerable. Simon, I know what you're thinking. And I'm not just guessing. I heard. I heard what you just thought. Do you know the Lord's listening right now to what you are thinking? So you might as well be honest. Take off the masks. Let's be community. God's helping me get broader shoulders. Okay? It used to so disturb me when somebody fell asleep in my service. I think there are a couple of times I called it out. Ed says, yeah. (laughs) This was 20 years ago at our our first church. And now, you know what I believe now? Is first of all, you're tired. (laughs) 
and praise God that you found a place where you can catch a few Z's because I know life is busy. Secondly, I just believe that in this atmosphere, the Holy Spirit is giving you God-driven dreams and rest and he's speaking to your heart. Do you know that the word of God is not held up or prevented from entering your spirit just because your eyes are shut? See, so I've changed my paradigm. I'm working on it. Simon, I have something I want to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Verse 41, then Jesus told him a story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. By the way, 500 pieces of silver back then, that was a year and a half wages a year and a half of wages 50 pieces of silver about 45 days worth of an average wage back then but neither of them could repay him so he kindly forgave them both canceling their debts who do you suppose loved him more after that and Simon answered I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt that's right Jesus said and then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon look at this woman kneeling here when I entered your home you didn't offer me water to wash the dust off my feet but she's washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair you didn't greet me with a kiss but from the time I first came in she's not stopped kissing my feet you neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. What's the greatest commandment? Thou shalt... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, including your tears and your career and your perfume and all that consumes you and all that you're passionate about. You're going to come and lay it at its feet and you're going to worship him. And he knows how to interpret that. And he said, woman, your sins are forgiven. Verse 49. And then the men at the table said among themselves, Who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your sins are forgiven you. Did you know that the cross applies to sin before the sinner repents? Let me say it again. Did you know that the cross, the power of the cross, the effect of the cross, applies to sins even before the sinner repents? So, Genesis, 
What does this new ethos look like for us? First, belong. Jesus said, you gave me no water to wash with. If we're going to be a place of belonging, we have to make people feel accepted. We have to embrace them. We have to let them know that Genesis is a place where they will be loved and where they can find hope. And I don't care who they are, what their orientation, what they dress like, how they think. Genesis must create a place where we wash, where we make people feel safe. Then Jesus said, you didn't greet me with a kiss. What's he talking about? Welcoming me. Genesis, everybody that comes in that door or everybody that comes to a men's group or a women's group or, 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 or to an excursion or to any uh, church picnic, any time we gather for any reason, hear me, Genesis, we must welcome people, as it were, with a kiss. What does that mean? Well, ask yourself, how would you prepare your home if I were coming over? Maybe I should rephrase that. Some of you might not care and you wouldn't do anything different. How, how would you prepare your home if, if President Obama were coming over? Politics aside, it does not matter whether you, whether you agree with everything that, 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 that his administration is, is, is pronouncing or not. I'm just saying, the President of the United States or Billy Graham, or Bill Johnson, or you, you think of a person that you just have on a pedestal for whatever reason. If they called you, said, I'm coming over Friday at 6 o'clock, what would you do? Let me ask you a question. I, is that the attention we give to how we prepare here? Listen to me. Genesis helps ministry. All eyes right here. Is that the attention we give to our ministries? to our preparation, to this building as long as we are here, as long as this is where God has graced us to be, is that the attention we give to preparing for the people that come in that door? And then, once your guest gets there, what would you do? Would you not first offer them a drink? Would you not offer for them to tour the house and show them around? Would you not offer, if it got late, that they could stay? We have a guest room. Would you not prepare your best food? And most of you, I'm sure, would get out, even if it was your best paper plate, you'd get out your best paper plate. Those of you that had china, you'd get out china, though you have not used it in years. You would now, tonight, right? Do you realize that that's the kiss that God is asking us as a church to give to everybody that comes in those doors. Create a sense of welcoming. In other words, belonging. And then Jesus said, You did not give me the courtesy, which means honor, of olive oil. How do you honor somebody who you don't even know? Talk about them. Ask them questions. Don't talk about yourself. Talk about them. Get to know them. Ask them questions that bring things out of them that they enjoy talking about. Everybody's honored when you talk about them. So, how do you belong? How do we create a Genesis? A new paradigm? A belonging? 
Well, first, we make people feel safe. Secondly, we're going to welcome them. And third, we're going to do them the courtesy of talking about them, not about us. Now, secondly, believe. What's that mean for us to enter this new paradigm of believing? Do you realize that most people who have not begun yet a passionate journey of faith in Christ don't want to change? And they don't want to change when they come in that door. That's not the first thing on their mind. Oh, I came to your church this morning because I want to change. People don't come to church like that, especially today in our society. And yet, that is the paradigm. Behave, believe, and then you can belong to our club. We've got to change that. And by the way, secondly, people are not sure we're right yet. (laughs) I can't assume that just all of you lock, stop, stock, and barrel. Is that the saying? Thank you, John. Appreciate that. It's good to have somebody up in years that can... (laughs) At least as old as I am, thank God you know, that can help me with my colloquialisms when I forget them. I'm under no misconception or preconceived idea that all of you right now agree with the things that I say every Sunday. I know you don't. So why is it that we place upon the people that come in that door back there that same thing? You've got to change And you've got to believe what we believe. Do you see how that's wrong? Do you see how that's going to run people away? And then finally, do we really trust the Holy Spirit to be the lead, the guide, to correct people like he said he would? Or do we feel like that's our job? Come on, join me in John's Gospel real quick. John's Gospel. Chapter 6, John's Gospel, Chapter 6, and verse 44. For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. Since he's got to do it anyway, since it's his power that's drawing them, wouldn't it be good if we abstained from creating an atmosphere that says, you've got to change and you've got to believe it like we believe it or else you're not part of our club. Let's let the Holy Spirit draw people. Romans chapter 2, because I... I'm I'm feeling a bit like Jesus when Simon was thinking what he was thinking about that sinful prostitute. So I can hear your thinking. Genesis, I have something I want to say to you because I know that the thought then, the logical sequence of thought here based on what I've said so far is, well, are we never to call people to repent of the way they're living? 
Romans chapter 2. Look with me. Verse 4. Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Other translations say, it's the goodness of God that leads man to repentance. Most other translations say it that way. It's not a harsh message. Not a demanding message that you change that leads people to repent and turn. It's the love of God. It's an atmosphere where they feel they can belong and then start to believe in this Messiah that we say we believe in. Did you know that some people doubt before they believe? And did you know that doubting actually encourages rethinking? And that that's not a bad thing. There are people sitting here this morning. You are here this morning because you have rethought what you think about the gospel and the local church. Because there was a time you said, I will never have anything more to do with God. I'll never step foot in a church again. And you're here. And why are you here? Are you here because somebody religiously came down on you and bashed you and bashed you and demanded of you that you change and come back to the church? Most likely not. Now, finally, let's talk about becoming. Did you know that Jesus does not want to change who you are? And yet the church today preaches that like it's gospel. We're going to change who you are. Really? You're not going to change anybody. (laughs) That's the Holy Spirit's job. To draw them and to woo them to Christ. And then to bring them and lead them to repentance. And still, do you know that God doesn't want to change you? He gave you your personality. He created you the way that you are. He loves you. You're exciting to him. You're just some sort of something to him. And I know you might not be to everybody else, but really you don't have to care what everybody else says. You care most about what God thinks. What God wants you to do is as I learn to surrender my heart to him, And lovingly follow him. And listen to the Holy Spirit. He wants to transform me more into his likeness. So that the things that are coming forth from my life. Speak of his glory. And his likeness. Rather than yours. Or your religion. Or your church. Or whatever. We must be careful. Our local church is not the gospel. We're tasked with preaching it, but we are not tasked to be it. We are his hands extended, but only in as far as we are offering people the true gospel of belonging, believing, and then becoming. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So then secondly, as far as becoming, he wants us to become a passionate Christ follower, of course. And submission and obedience come from a heart of surrender and love, not oppression, not demanding. By the way, husbands, you guys that are married or in a significant relationship with your wife, your girlfriend, 
If you have not yet learned, please, if you take nothing from this message but this, wake up and realize you do not force anyone into submission. Even a person convinced against their will is of the same opinion still. And, and so submission is something I give through a heart of surrender. Obedience is something I offer to somebody I love. So that's the atmosphere, gentlemen, that we want to create for our wives and our girlfriends. So what's it mean to live in transformation? What's it mean to live in true surrender and holiness to his will? I'm going to quote Bill Johnson again from Bethel Church. Quote, unquote, faith lives within the revealed will of God. When I have misconceptions about who he is and what he is like, my faith is restricted by those misconceptions. For example, if I believe that God allows sickness in order to build character, I'll not have confidence praying in most situations where healing is needed. But if I believe that sickness is to be the, excuse me, but if I believe that sickness is to the body what sin is to the soul, then no disease will intimidate me. Faith is much more free to develop when we truly see the heart of God as good. End quote. See, quite simply, according to Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, growth is a process. So, Becoming looks like being made in his image. Not worrying about changing into something or someone you're really not. Living transformationally by the power of the Holy Spirit who leads us, who teaches us, who guides us. And then finally, by reaching to others. We have to live in the unseen realm every day, trusting that God is moving in everyone's life, even the prostitute, even the whore, even the gay person, even the lesbian or the transgender person, even the corporate CEO who's stealing from the company, the plumber, the person mowing the lawn, your neighbor or someone in your family who's not yet accepted Christ. Do we realize that the Holy Spirit every day is working with people? And our job is to come alongside what He's doing and foster that, not us. Not a message of change, but a message of Jesus, fall at his feet, worship him with his tears, bring your career, bring your perfume, love him, get to know him. And by the way, should you choose to do that, we have a great local church called Genesis that I'd like you to just come visit on September 15th, Sunday morning. If you, if you never come to church again, would you please come this one Sunday, September 15th, and just experience belonging a community that really believes in belonging and then believes in believing, but not like you think. And then see if it's worth becoming. I had a very real experience with this exact message in all of its ways, sitting in a restaurant this past week in Boston. We had gone there for lunch 
I'm tired of walking and walking and walking. When you go to Boston, you walk a lot and you get tired. And uh, the people that we were with love to eat, love to eat well. And so we ate, we ate a lot. And so I am now back on my training exercises and my training diet and losing pounds because I gained. But I gained something else. Sitting in this restaurant at table eating, minding my own business, our waitress serving us and returning to the table to ask how everything is, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me. I was minding my own business. I am on vacation. (laughs) And the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and said, I have a word for that woman. I have a word for that waitress. And I said, really? (laughs) Lord, I'm on vacation. So I began to weigh it, and then I began to watch her and where she was going. Could I sneak into the back? And and then I just decided, you know, at some point, she's going to come bring us our check. And between then and when I leave those doors, Father, you will give me an opportunity, and I'll be faithful and step out and give her the word. We paid our bill. There was a lot of activity, and it was a little noisy, and she was a little rushed. And so we got through paying the bill and there really wasn't an opportunity. And so everybody got up from the table and I said, you all go ahead. And they all started exiting. And she was over at a cash register putting in an order. And I walked up to her. And what I didn't say to you all was that a few minutes earlier, she had been horribly treated by another table who was very demanding. The woman even got up And while our waitress was waiting on us and taking our order, this woman walks over from another table and just starts berating her about the service and and, and saying, you know, being very demanding about what she expected and needed right now. And so the waitress wisely said, I'll be with you in just a moment. I need to finish this order. And so she did. And And so when I walked up to her, I'd already gotten some cash out of my pocket. And I said, I have a question. I said, did that table tip you? And she said, yeah, it's okay. I said, no, look at me. Did they take care of you? Did they tip you well? She said, it's okay. I mean, they gave me a dollar, but it's all right. I said, well, here, here's a 20. Now, by the way, that's on top of us tipping her well at our table. And then I looked at her right in the eyes because I had her attention (laughs) And I said, you know what? I have a word for you. And she kind of lit up because her immediate response was she was thinking, oh, I want to correct something or compliment something, you know, about her waitressing. And she said, yeah, I, I, I understand. And I said, no, you're not hearing me. I said, look here. I said, the Holy Spirit has given me a word for you. And I want to tell you something from the Father's heart. And she just froze. And I proceeded to give her a multifaceted word that the Lord had just put on me. First, he just gave me the first couple of words of it, but then as it flowed, it just continued to flow. And it turned into something precious, and she just began to weep. And she put her head down, 
and she was wiping her eyes and she'd look up and she was smiling and nodding her head in such confirmation, weeping and crying and nodding her head. And she said, I've just got to hug you. And she hugged me real big. And I thought in that moment, this is belonging. This is believing. This is becoming. And I heard the father say, that this prostitute who washed Jesus' feet with the most precious of her career substance, she didn't go to church. She didn't sing in the choir. She hadn't been to an altar. She hadn't joined a small group. She hadn't shaken the pastor's hand. She hadn't done any of that. She worshipped. She worshipped the creator of the universe. And Jesus said, I accept your love as forgiveness. You are forgiven of your sin. The greatest command in all the Bible, thou shalt love the Lord your God. Genesis Don't you dare put any other interpretation on that and begin to tell God what that has to look like in people's lives. Our job is to create a place here where people, when they walk in that door, feel a sense of safety and belonging. They're welcomed. We kiss them. We pour olive oil over them. We honor them. We encourage them to believe, but we know that covenant community will take over there and the Holy Spirit will bring them along. In his time, it's okay. It's okay if they don't become a believer. And they come regularly to our things. It's okay. But eventually, they will become through the power of the Holy Spirit. Stand to your feet.